to let me know Should I stay or should I go As that classic Clash tune might suggest, you have stumbled upon the Should I Stay or Should I Go episode of 20 by 70. It's brought to you from Kelly Writer's House on the Penn Campus by Philadelphia's quirkily named Good Government Group, the Committee of 70. I'm Chris Citullo, host of this John. So uh, here's the thing. While some city natives have been sleeping or doing the other things they do, like grumbling, cursing the Phillies, or arguing over the best cheesesteak, a new Philadelphia has been emerging. It's the Philadelphia of Spruce Harbor Park and the Bach Bar, of Passing Square and Fishtown, of Ignite Philly and the Fringe, of Next Fab and Blue Cadet. It's being both crafted and celebrated by an influx of creative, energetic millennials. They have embraced something in this gritty city that us older dogs had forgotten or never glimpsed in the first place. Something authentic with its own rough energy. Something promising. Something clearly cheaper than Boston or New York. But even as it spreads, flexes, and announces itself, this new Philadelphia also shudders at the faint sound of its own death knell. As swiftly as it rose... It knows it could wane thanks to chronic Philly problems, bad schools, stubborn corruption, a thin job sector. In this episode, we're going to talk to some active, accomplished millennials of Philadelphia about how they play out the clash's anxious calculus in their heads every day. Should I stay or should I go? But before we chat with them, first a moment with 70s CEO David Thornburg to talk about the new Buckholtz Fellows Program of the Committee of Seventy. Hey, David. Chris, howdy. So, David, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to be talking to a couple of the new Buckholtz Fellows, part of a program, the Committee of Seventy. Tell us a little bit about the Buckholtz Fellows. Yeah, we're really excited about this. Um, just to paint the big picture, and you know this, uh, one of the challenges that this larger community's had for a long time is a way of building a pipeline of new fresh, energetic, eyes-open civic talent to take the place of their elders, who I have to say often kind of hang out too long in the same roles. And um, a lot of folks have talked about this over the years. We really need to get, you know, the young people involved, in quotes. Uh, but frankly, nobody's really figured out a way to do it very well. You end up with, you know, we'll create a young friends of group or something like that. And it feels like the kids table, you know, the card table set up in the hallway where they're peanut butter sandwiches. So that's the picture of what was. Uh, and we thought, well, we can do better than that. And uh, we created this Buckholtz Fellowship, which was a, a year-long opportunity for a, an emerging civic leader, age 25 to 40, to join our board with full rights and privileges except non-voting rights and privileges um, just for bylaw reasons. So the idea is you'd be an active participant at the board, policy discussions, task forces, anything you want, come to the annual luncheon, uh, so forth and so on. And this was in named and in the spirit of a wonderful board member of ours, Carl Buckholtz, who passed away at the age of 52 a couple years ago who was a great civic leader, chaired the United Way, active Committee of Seventy member, uh, had worked with Secretary Ridge at the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and so we felt this was a, a, a fitting way to remember him and recognize him and put some structure around 
this this challenge of renewal. So tell us a little bit about that first class. Well, you know, when you launch something, uh, you're never quite sure what the response is going to be. So with a little bit of anxiety, we uh, floated this, uh, put out a, a call for nominations in the summer. And uh, the deadline was late August, I guess. And, uh, you know, heading into a week out, we, were, we had maybe four or five. And we were going to choose five. So, but I assured folks, because I've seen this movie before, they're all going to come in at the last minute, and lo and behold, they did. <laughs> so we ended up with 40 applications. This wasn't just like a multiple choice, just, you know, fill out the card and we'll, you know, pick them at random. We asked people to put a fair amount of time and effort into it. So 40 applications went through a screening process from our board, led by Judy Von Seldnick, who runs a big search firm here and emerged with uh, five really, really terrific folks to join our board for the next year. Okay, now let's let's bring in our Buckholz Fellows. We have two of them here in the Wexler studio on the Penn campus, Jen DeVore, uh, who's Director of Partnerships at Campus Philly, and Jason Tucker, who's Vice President of Acquisitions and Development with the Goldenberg Group. Welcome, guys. Hi. Hey, welcome. So um, you heard the uh, clash at the top, singing the famous old lyric, um, should I stay or should I go? Um, for I'm wondering for both of you, and maybe Jen, we'll start with you. Um, what are kind of the factors? Is is that a question for you in terms of staying in Philadelphia? And what are the factors you're looking at to to decide that? So for me, at this point in my life, you know, I'm in my early 30s. I have a small child. Um, I'm a homeowner in a great neighborhood. It's not a question. And I think. The reason that is, is because I came here for school in 2002. I went to University of the Arts. And even just in college, I was able to build up such a great professional network and get exposure to so much that Philadelphia has to offer that it was just a very easy decision for me to make when I graduated that I wanted to plant roots here um, and stay. So I, I feel like that conversation has happened probably about 10 years ago. And, and my answer was, yes, I'm going to stay. Yeah. And Jen, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to you and, and learn about some of the things you're doing because you are dug in and what you're doing to, to create the future you want for you and your, your child. Um, Jason, mm -hmm. what does it look like for you? So for me, uh, I went to school in Western Massachusetts and then knew the entire time that I was going to come back to Philadelphia. I'm, I'm from here originally. I love it. I saw the uh, growth and the potential as it was blooming, and I wanted to be a part of the city taking the next step. Um, whether or not I stay uh, has changed a little bit because of, you know, three important factors. Really, for me, uh, if I have kids, it's the quality of the school system. Uh, it's the continued uh, growth of the job uh, community here. I, I think that Philadelphia is a great city to get your first job out of school, but I think we really suffer with that second step, and we lose a lot of folks to that second step, and I know that that's kind of where I am in my career and where my wife is in hers. Um, and, and thirdly, I just think that you know the city has reached this inflection point as far as whether we're going to catalyze ourselves to be one of the best cities in the world or whether or not we're, we're going to continue to stagnate. And I, I'm not sure which way we're going to go yet. I want to just uh, linger a moment on the, the second thing you said about the depth of the job sector. Um, and in conversations I've had with a number of people who were, you know, sort of in the, the front stages of their career, 
that's a huge factor that sometimes is underestimated when people sort of look, oh, well, you know, millennials want lots of cool stuff and they want Spruce Harbor Park and they want the schools. But the, the depth of the job sector is important. Can you talk a little bit more about that? In some senses, I guess I should call it a first world problem. But but the idea is if you try to seek your your second step job here, there just aren't that many industries that are deeply enough rooted for you to pursue that path all the way through here in Philadelphia. Um, I, I have a, an abundance of friends who, after getting their first job locally, have subsequently moved to Houston, Texas, or Raleigh-Durham, or D.C., New York. Um, the, the bottom line is we're way too mobile now, uh, and our job options are a lot more flexible because you don't have to necessarily be in an office. So Philadelphia not having a job in that middle tier, that those group of folks who make you know somewhere between eighty thousand and one hundred and eighty thousand um, dollars, we just don't have those jobs outside of the, the universities and the the life sciences uh, environments. And I, I think that that's a lot of talent. A lot of talented folks from Philadelphia are leaving to advance their careers. And while some may come back, I think the vast majority might say, "Hey, you know, mm-hmm. the grass is actually greener." Right. Jen, um, I mean, you work with Campus Philly, which is an organization that has been addressing um, the set of issues we're talking about with tremendous success for a long time. But in terms of, uh, say, current college students or recent graduates that you deal with, um, what do you hear about um, Philadelphia as a place to make a career? Do they understand what's going on here or are they still looking elsewhere? Yeah. So, I mean, I think as far as current college students and recent grads, they do feel that their college experience is providing the skills and training they need for their careers. And then internships are a big factor in that, um, you know, should I stay or should I go? If they have an internship, whether they get placement at the company they intern for, or they use an internship to kind of leverage their next opportunity, um, students feel confident that if they've had that experience, they'll stay. And I would say about 67% of college students think that they'll stay in Philadelphia but they think that they'll stay for at least some time. And usually that leads to issues about the public school system and these kind of next level jobs, as Jason was referring to. Um, Campus Philly did a report recently called Ready to Launch, and it was exactly on this topic, um, how career opportunities will affect students' retention rates. And honestly, on average, they expect to have almost three different jobs between graduation and their 10-year reunion. So I think when you see students kind of hopping around um, and, you know, rather than it being a ladder, maybe it's even a jungle gym, as they say, of of career choices. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if Philadelphia will have that middle opportunity to retain them. Right. And that's something, um, that's generationally different. And if you're a baby boomer like me, that seems kind of extraordinary, you know, that the idea that it would be expected to have three different jobs in the first 10 years. Yeah, and Jen, the way you described it, that's that's who I am. Mm-hmm. I, I came out of school. I had my tenure this past spring, and I've had three jobs since my tenure. And it hasn't been for any other reason aside from the fact that I saw an opportunity. It made sense for me both professionally and financially, uh, and I'm going to capitalize on that. I, I don't think that – and I'm going to speak now, unfortunately, as the voice of my generation, <laughs> but I, I don't think that uh, – we have the same sort of expectation that 
companies are going to be there for us or uh, that they're going to nurture us along. It's not as if I'm going to come into IBM and get training on day one and I'm going to be there for 30 years and retire with a gold watch. I, I mean... Right. And that just says you had your eyes open watching what happened to your parents while you were growing up. Yeah. Exactly. And and we grew up during a recession. So um, I, I've seen whose interests are served in those circumstances. And so I think that a lot of us have realized that if that's the way the professional world operates, then we need to take steps to protect ourselves. Right. Right. Now, um, Jen, you mentioned you have a child. I know Jason is married and, and thinking about children. So um, let's get to the inevitable topic, the Philadelphia school system or the whole complex of Philadelphia edu- education K-12. to um, How are you thinking about that, Jen? And how old is your child? So my daughter is uh, four and a half, uh, going on 16. And <laughs> <laughs> um, but she'll, she'll be in kindergarten next fall, and we're going to send her to our public school, GW Childs at 16th and Wharton. It's a great school, um, and it, it's been a great school. We have an excellent principal, uh, Dr. Coots, who just is the perfect combination of, you know, tough and tender and uh, is well-respected throughout the school. Um, but, you know, in addition to having a strong principal and, and dedicated faculty, uh, you know, we have a Friends Of group that was started about five years ago. And really, you know, we see, and, I, and I'm part of that Friends Of group, and we see ourselves as a response team to, to our public school because of lack of funding um, and resources it's community members kind of taking it into their own hands to support. And and it's not just because I want to send my child there because frankly, I was part of this group before I was even pregnant or my daughter was born. It's because of my care for the neighborhood. And, you know, I had heard terrible things about Philadelphia public schools, but I had five little boys on my street that all went to our local public school and they were great. And so I knew that there was a misperception about what people were saying about schools and then what was actually happening inside. Now, that's not to say that schools are per- are great and perfect. There's definitely a lot of work. And I think that, you know, Harrisburg plays a big role in that and, um, you know, challenges with parental engagement. You know, it's a very complex layered issue. But I think with the issue of public schools, I think depending on where you live and your commitment to staying, I think the first step is going inside your school and seeing for yourself what the reality of the situation is. Right. I just want to underline something you said for people maybe from outside Philadelphia who aren't that familiar with it, but uh, the group you're talking about, Neighbors Invested in Child's Elementary, is part of what has been a really um, fast-growing and, and powerful trend in Philadelphia of not even just parents, but potential parents getting engaged with their local neighborhood school long before their kid is of school age to, to get to know the people, get to know the circumstance, and get to know the needs. Yeah, it's part of, uh, I think we would call it the, the Friends of Neighborhood Education Network um, or movement. And it, yeah, it's exactly that. It's it's non-parents who are invested in their communities um, and it is it is potential parents or future parents is the the term that we use. But it's also people that, you know, maybe aren't planning to have kids, but planning on staying in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and seeing the greater opportunity uh, to to support public education. 
Right, Jason, you're a product yourself of, of private schools, but how are you thinking about for that the kid who isn't bored yet, but it's probably coming? Yeah, and I'm glad you, you led me into that because I think that uh, the individual parents' background experience informs a lot of their decision-making with regard to this school's issue. Um, and I went to Germantown Friends, small Quaker school here in Philadelphia, K through 12. And I recognize every day more and more the advantage that that education has afforded me. So to the extent that I look at my potential children down the line, I don't want to put them in a situation where they get anything but the best that I'm able to provide for them. Um, I applaud the work that these Friends of groups are doing at selected schools throughout the city. And I think that if you look at the track record, those schools have done a tremendous job of uh, incorporating those efforts into a cohesive uh a cohesive plan to help the school advance. But if you look at the neighborhoods in which that, that has occurred, um, there's definitely some indicators of uh, increased uh, economic outcomes for the for the neighbors moving into that neighborhood. Uh, some of the demographics have changed. And I mean- The, the G word. Yeah, gentrification. Yeah. And bottom line is um, I want to make sure that wherever I move, I can send my child to that school where they will receive a quality education and they'll be a, a person who is uh, embraced by the community. And if I can't do that at my local public school, then as a responsible parent, it's my job to put my child in the best place to succeed. Right. At the top, I mentioned sort of a, a trinity of issues, and there are more, but um, three that come up very often in this uh, should I stay or should I go conversation. And we've covered two of them, the schools and, and just career prospects and the depth of the job sector. So let's go, and I'll start with you, Jen, to the last one, which is how the city is run, politics and power. Um, one one party ta- town with, uh, shall we say mildly, a certain um, propensity towards corruption and hanging on to power. So, Jen, your choice has been to work within that one party and try to transform it from within. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I I believe in, you know, working within the system while also critically evaluating it. And I think by doing that, it provides me so much access to see what's really happening, who really the players are, which is not always, you know, who's on the surface and, uh, and start to, you know, have some influence and effective change. And, and I really, you know, specifically with my role as a committee person, um, which is, you know, this kind of entry level um, party role. I've been able to, you know, organize my neighbors and kind of empower the empower them to vote in a way that makes sense for them and not necessarily who is endorsed, you know, trickle down from the top. So I don't I mean, I, I don't think. I would be as effect. I don't think I would be effective as all if I wasn't working within the system, even though I, I definitely see it as broken. Okay. And just in case any listener of this podcast just parachuted in from Estonia or Latvia and doesn't know which <laughs> party we're talking about, that would be the Democratic Party that you're a committee person of, right? Yes. Um, Jason, I know you come at these questions of politics, power, and generational change just from not an opposing, but it's a different perspective from Jen. Yes, I, I think that my attitude has been a little bit more uh, in the sense of if you're not going to help the younger folks, if the existing party isn't going to reach down and try to groom 
and identify and uh, cultivate the talent that the city has had, then you got to knock the door down. Um, and I do think that there's a role for good people like Jen, who, who I admire for her work as a committee person, for more young people to get into those roles. But simultaneously, I, I believe that young people in the city of Philadelphia need to demand more from those who are serving in political office. And we need to collectively reexamine the people that we put at the highest levels of city governance. Um, it seems preposterous to me that folks have been in city council for nearly 30 years, and moreover, that certain seats have been held by the contingents, uh, by representatives who are aligned for even longer than that. Um, if you look at any other major city across the country who has a similar form of governance, there's young people and younger people involved in making decisions at a higher level. Um, I, I don't want to come across as radical because I don't think that there's a, a path forward in destroying the existing system. But at the same time, I think that rather than going on pure incrementalism where you rise from the ground up, we need to focus on putting qualified candidates who are representative of other facets of Philadelphia in position to run, win, and uh, move the city along. What difference would it make um, if the voices and the needs and the thoughts and the, the dreams of your generation were authentically heard in City Hall? How would that change what comes out of City Council and the mayor's office? I, I think that the folks who a lot of older people think they're going to get from our generation, um, they, they think they're going to hear from these urbanists, these bike lane people uh, or, or beer garden folks. And I think we contain multitudes. Um, if you look at the millennials in Philadelphia demographically, a large portion of them are immigrants and a large portion of them live in the surrounding neighborhoods and aren't these young professionals that get idolized in the, in the media. Um, I Including think, by me at the top of the podcast, <laughs> brother. It's a fair point. We'll forgive you. We'll forgive you. Um, I, I just think that a lot of us, rather than identifying on a pure party basis, look at things pragmatically. And I'm, I'm a person, and I think a lot of my generation are people who are just looking for good ideas. If I see a good idea, I don't care where the idea comes from. If it can help my city improve and help the quality of life for those folks, then that's the idea I want to implement. Um, we're not naive anymore. Uh, we're older than, than people think. We've got kids and houses and mortgages, and, and we're trying to navigate life like anybody else. But um, I think our experience is a, an experience of being left out in the cold, and we're ready to finally be heard. Okay, let me try to bring this conversation back home to where we started as a last question. Both of you made the decision, um, and I don't know whether you did it at the last minute or were one of the, the few early entrants, but you wrote that essay to be a Buckholz fellow. Mm -hmm. um, Why did you guys decide to do that, and what do you hope comes out of the experience for you? We'll start with you, Jen. So I was one of the people that got my essay in late, but you know, I, I, because again, working, you know, with inside the system while critically evaluating it in, in a sense, I think that committee of 70 is part of its own system, right? I mean, it's, um, you know, a, it has a long extensive history of, uh, political engagement. And I think that, you know, there's a lot that I can learn from, you know, from the, the staff there and the board. And at the same time, I think it's a great opportunity to bring my perspective um, as, 
as a woman, as a millennial, as a mother, as a transplant um, to to the organization as well. So I, I really saw it, you know, as a as an opportunity for both of us to uh, collaborate and and see if we can come up with something really new and really great by by the end of the year that kind of takes both the, the historical aspects of, of 70 and then this kind of new Philadelphian uh, push for change. I'm really excited about it. Jason? I'm really excited about it too. Uh, but I, there's so much young talent in the city of Philadelphia. And I feel that 70 reached out the Olive Branch. They, they made the decision actively as one of these stalwart organizations to say, we're going to try to incorporate some of these young civics nerds who, who want to get involved and mix it up. I've always been an advocate of organizations that will think critically about themselves and realize, and, and 70 recognized, that their board was a little bit older and not necessarily reflective of the entirety of the city. Um, if they're going to reach the olive branch out, I'm going to take it. Uh, on a micro level, I, I would like to use this as an opportunity to pull back some of the curtains of the, the puppetry behind the machine. Um, I think the board is a phenomenal resource just to see uh, people who've succeeded and really understand the inner workings of the city of Philadelphia. So on a personal level, I, I want to pick the reins and get to that level of understanding. Um, and then by way of what I feel I can bring to 70, hopefully I can shed some light on uh, the broader narrative of what it means to be a, a millennial in Philadelphia and not just uh, kind of the limited buzzwords that we get saddled with. That's uh, Jason Tucker. And uh, we were also talking with Jennifer DeVore, both Buckles Fellows of the Committee of 70 and very active young Philadelphians. We want to thank you for being with us here and for your insights. Thank you both. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. So, usually, this is the point in our podcast when we pause to praise the many excellent deeds of our partner, Young Involved Philadelphia. We talk about how it nurtures civic spirit and leadership among its members, steeps them in the big issues, and helps them sample the city's multiple pleasures. That's what we usually do. But I'm not going to do that this time, because we have with us here today in, in the studio the grand poobah of YIP, Becca Gable. So I'm not going to say anything nice at all about YIP. I'm going to leave it up to her to talk about how it models civic engagement for its members and helps them find the doors into the life of the city that they've been hunting for. So, Becca, welcome. Thank you. So you did just finish, and you have the exhausted look <laughs> on your face <laughs> yes. of someone who just led Young Involved Philadelphia through its annual extravaganza of engagement called State of Young Philly. So how'd it go this year? It was great. It was it was exhausting. It was the uh, October 12th through the 21st, so we added an additional day this year because we're just that crazy. Uh, we had so many wonderful partners. We had 25 total events over those 10 days. Um, during that amount of time, we saw over 1,700 people. Wow. Um, so it was it was uh, a very strong year for new partners, um, reengaging some some reoccurring partners, and continuing some themes that had came up last year and in previous years. Give, give a sense of what the variety of events was. What were some of your favorite things? So the, I loved the creativity from some of the partners. Um, for instance, the Bethesda Project, instead of just having a, a regular event where they're talking about homelessness, they did a pumpkin carving event. 
and they gave out packets with all their information. So they got creative. Um, the Young Friends of Mana did a cooking demonstration. So they were, you know, they were talking about their mission. They were talking about the Young Friends program, but you got to do some cooking. And then they did wine pairing. So there was partners who really got creative with some of their mission-focused events. Um, we did have some themes. So we had um, Next Philadelphia do a ward event. We had Philly 3.0 do a ward event. Um, so there's certainly some political themes. Uh, Committee of 70, obviously, and Fair Districts hosted a great event. Um, uh, definitely a lot of competition in some of those bar games. All right, so we're, <laughs> we're going to stop there for a moment, Becca. So just just to let folks know, um, one of the things we had in this event that was about gerrymandering and the, the quest for reform of that practice of drawing uh, partisan electoral lines, um, we had a map of Pennsylvania broken up into its 18 bizarre-looking congressional districts, and it was made of felt, and then the idea was... You know, we scattered the pieces, and then we had time trials for putting it back together. So, Becca, you did that. How did it go? It was very difficult. <laughs> well over five minutes. Uh, when someone else did it in 90 seconds, I, I definitely knew the bar was set pretty high, but five minutes was well too many minutes uh, for me to be proud now, of. In your defense, I believe the person <laughs> did it in 90 seconds was a Fair Districts member who's been staring yes. at those uh, those uh, congressional district outlines for a long time. It's a point of shame, and I will be practicing over the next <laughs> couple of months. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I've, I've got the uh, puzzle out in the car if you ever need to stop by and practice. Excellent. Uh, excellent. But to get back to um, state, the state of young Philadelphia, um, what kind of feedback or vibe did you get or things that did you hear from your members about um, – Obviously, we're living in anxious and, you know, somewhat tumultuous times nationally. But how are people feeling about the city right now and, and its progress? So one of the things that I noticed, <clears throat> we had really strong turnout for events that I thought were going to struggle based on the time of the time of day or the day of the week. For instance, we had a, our signature event was the Women Leaders event, and it was a Friday night, and we had um, 129 people reserve tickets, um, and this was a paid event. So it was a panel of six women um, talking about how they became leaders in their respective industries, and to see that much energy come together on a Friday night when everyone else can be somewhere else, it clearly shows that people are concerned about what's going on in the country. They're concerned not just about the city, but what's happening in the country, um, and they're looking for ways to plug in. So, you know, that's always been at the root of our mission for YIP, um, to, to get people to not just know about the issues, but to find the right organizations that allow them to plug in. So we definitely saw that through this State of Young Philly, just like every year, where people are looking for those connections where they can really make a difference. So going forward, uh, I heard the other night at one of the events that you had decided to re-up for another year as president. Talk a little bit about I mean, it's a lot of work, um, this volunteer job that you do. Why did you decide to stick around? It is. It, it's funny. You know, I, as the year goes on, I guess I didn't expect to feel these ebbs and flows of, you know, maybe I could be doing something something somewhere else and make a bigger difference. But when you come together, uh, you know, with 14 other board members and you see everyone's hard work come together, in addition to 25 partners um, and 1,700 people come together to, to really pay attention to what these issues are, it does make me feel like we're on the path to taking this generation from this 
um, state of of inaction where we're kind of paralyzed, not knowing where to start or how to get involved, to really getting engaged. So um, I felt like the best thing for me, and um, you know, was was continuing for another year and being able to to continue this great work. Um, we have a great group of board members that are continuing, um, and I can't wait to continue some of the themes that we started in, in this year. So continuing Born to Run, continuing Women Leaders, you know, these are really important programs that I feel really proud um, of and, and proud to be a part of. That's Becca Gable, the leader of Young Involved Philadelphia. Thanks so much for stopping by, Becca. Thank you. So there we've gone and done it again, perpetrated another episode of the Scrappy Little Podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia. As usual, we couldn't have done it without our kind hosts at Kelly Writer's House, particularly our good friend Zach Cardner, turning the dials inside the Wexler studio. Also kind of crucial to the whole thing is our producer for this episode, Joel Kawabunga Patterson. Also, a shout-out to our regular producer, Barbara Dunning, as she recovers from her recent surgery. And, of course, thanks to our guests, Jason Tucker, Jen DeVore, and Becca Gable. They're the kind of young Philadelphians who build grounds for hope. How about we try to leave them a better city than the one we inherited? And if our boss man, David Thornburg, Philly Civic Yoda, has anything to say about it, that's just what we're going to do. Tell you what would help in that quest, if we can all just say it together now one more time. Expect more. Philadelphia.